This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 132, where we're talking about The Punisher, season 1, episode 11, Danger Close. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. It is I, Chris, and you are listening to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 132, where we are talking about The Punisher, season 1, episode 11, Danger Close. Oh yes, danger is in the air. We are entering the danger zone. I've already introduced myself, but I'm going to hand over to my two fantastic Punisher advocates in crime, vigilantes, if you will, my other podcast hosts. It is I, LeJohn. <laughs> and I'm your other co-host, Derek. Danger is close. We've let Chris take over the mic since he's been away for a little while. I know. It, it feels good to be back. I've got a tan on me. I was journeying across South Africa. I've seen a lot of guns. I feel closer to the Punisher already. <laughs> <laughs> the police over there kind of walk around with M16s and you're like, oh God. But yeah. So I, I'm now ready. I've watched all my episodes. I'm back up to speed and I'm dying to jump right in and talk about what is potentially a fantastic episode. But I will not spoil anything just yet. So that means you're not going to defend it then, Chris? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? What did you think of episode 9 and 10, Chris, since you weren't with us for those ones? So I've, t- I've been very up and down in this series, mm-hmm. and I, I'm gonna, I think our listeners will know there's points where I'm ebbing, where I'm kind of going, this is getting me sucked in, and then I'm kind of waning off a bit. Um, I think it's a bit about the, the, the actual subject matter. Mm-hmm. Like, it, don't get me wrong, the direction, the, the writing, the overall cinematography, the acting is fantastic. I think I was never a huge Punisher fan. Like, I'm kind of, I've read some of the War Journal stuff, but it's more... Punisher equals Spidey team-ups. Yeah. This is less superhero-based. It's more CIA. It's intrigue, film noir, that kind of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, thriller. Thriller-based. Um, and I think that's kind of potentially where my waning has happened. Although I can now say the last two episodes has sucked me right back in again. Yes. It's the, the culmination of some of the storylines we've got, which were fantastic. Like... Just the tense standoff moment with the Claymore. Yeah. Seeing Billy Russo, seeing the the evolution of that character, I mm-hmm. think, has gone from billionaire playboy, kind of almost to descending into I just not say madness, but seeing his true colors. Yes. Kind of like things like that. I'm loving. I was so sorry you weren't with us for uh, for the Lewis episode, as we were as we were calling it. Back yeah. In, in episode nine, an excellent episode, and episode ten. Really, really good episodes there. Yeah, and I, I, I remember we had questioned, where are they going with this? Mm-hmm. Why? What is the storyline? What has it got to do with the main storyline? And I now see what they were doing, and it was amazingly clever. Yeah, and I actually didn't think about it. It's you are literally seeing the juxtaposition of the Punisher versus someone who the Punisher could be. Exactly, the Punisher without. I don't want to say moral compass, ethics. No, I, I don't know. It's 
how easily Frank could slip into that person, but fight for some of those things because he does fight for some of those things as well, mm-hmm. but not at the behest of innocence. Yes, and I yeah, think yeah. that's where it comes down to, like Frank calling out there was innocent people um, when he was talking to Lewis on the phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's definitely a mirror. But it's even like you get the hint in this episode where Michael kind of goes, and this has to stop Frank. You know, he's kind of suddenly realizing that Frank could just, like the Duracell bunny, go on and on and on, but just with more guns. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Obviously, Chris and our fellow Defenders, as always. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, just make sure you go to our website over at DefendersTVPodcast.com and you'll see all the subscribe links in there. The reason why I'm doing this right now is because I don't want to spoil the episode before I give out our sharing links. Uh, <laughs> if you want to join us over at our Facebook group, uh, you can come to us at Facebook.com slash group slash DefendersTVPodcast. And if you want to send any emails in about the penultimate episode and the final episode, just email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And did you mention the voicemails? No, I didn't. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, please send in your voicemails for the last two episodes of The Punisher. And you will receive a bag of sweets. Sweets may not be received. (laughs) Terms and conditions apply. Sweets may not be received. (laughs) They may be audible sweets only, like us singing. I always wanted to do that kind of terms and conditions apply. <laughs> I'm gonna. That's my new voiceover piece in the background. I like it. And Chris, since you haven't been here in a while, and since the New Year's resolution for Defenders TV podcast and the fellow Defenders is to share the love, who should they be sharing our episodes with? They should be sharing it with their grannies, their grandfathers. We had a discussion on our Facebook page all about why you should share it with your grandmothers. And I've expanded out to the grandfathers as well. This is a fantastic episode about love, about hate. It will give them a warm, fuzzy feeling inside that there is a guy like Frank Castle running around (laughs) looking after their city uh, or their country. Um, they can call you can call it their stories instead of Dallas or Coronation Street or Home and Away <laughs> or whichever of those stories they like. This is a news story. This is a gritty, realistic story. Hell, you could even tell them it's the news. They may not know. Just put it out of the background and say, "Did you see what happened?" <laughs> scare your grandfather. Scare your grandmother. Who knows? But based on what I've heard about Jessica Jones season two, it's going to be for the children in your life. It's going <laughs> to psychologically scarring them at a young age. Well, let's see how they, that works out. But I won't spoil the surprise until episode one of Jessica Jones, season two. Excellent, with all episodes coming on March 8th. That's right. Perfect. But speaking of that, and because I keep talking so much in this episode already, and it's only a few minutes in, Derek, please take the mic away from me and tell us all the episode details. Absolutely. This episode was written by, again, by Felicity Henderson. She wrote episode eight of The Punisher. We talked about it there and some of her experience in the past uh, working on on other shows, uh, a lot of comedy shows in the past, which is really interesting given the two episodes that she's written for The Punisher are quite serious episodes. The episode was directed by Kevin Hooks. Uh, got a very long career in TV, right back from St. Elsewhere and V and Fame in the 80s to the movie Passenger 57 with Blade himself, Wesley Snipes, in the 90s. Uh, he also did episodes in seasons one and two of Lost and some from Prison Break as well. And more recently, and probably a bit more relevantly, he'd done three episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the years, you know, over across multiple seasons, not just one season. So he does have a good knowledge in the Marvel Universe and puts it to good use with The Punisher, I think. I really do. And yeah, the, the weird that it was comedic uh, backgrounds, because let's just say there are not that many shits and giggles and, and laughs in this episode. 
Nice one, Chris. Excellent, yeah. They're probably uh, rebelling against their, their former comedy past <laughs> and bringing a bit of realistic brutalism and violence. Absolutely. And John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Violence. <laughs> That's my shortest synopsis ever. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Frank Castle, bruised and battered, calls time with Micro, believing that his solo run to inform Dina Madani of the events and people at Kandahar has betrayed their partnership. Elsewhere, William Rawlins attempts to gain sympathy from CIA Deputy Director Marion James in an attempt to use CIA resources to track Frank Castle. As Rawlins uses all his resources to hand, danger knocks on Sarah Lieberman's door as both Sarah and Zach are kidnapped by Russo's men. As the dominoes fall, Frank and Micro's location is traced off the back of Sarah's cell phone. Frank anticipates this course of action, but as Frank makes preparations at the disused power station, he has second thoughts about breaking his partnership with Micro. As they both see the events at the Lieberman home unfold and see Leo elude capture. As David reunites with her at an old family hangout and enlists Madani's aid, Castle ambushes and kills the assault team in the power station as he takes his quest for vengeance to the next level with some help from the Punisher. After her grilling at Homeland Security by Madani and her boss, Deputy Director Marion James calls time on Rawlins' duplicitous nature, asking that he fix his problem by sacrificing Russo and resigning his position to protect the agency. With his assault team dead, Russo arranges a location for a hostage exchange site, demanding that Castle and Lieberman exchange themselves for Sarah and Zack. That is a good synopsis of this episode. That's every single major character left on the show appeared in this episode, really, didn't they? Pretty much. <laughs> and I love we have to actually, only in Punisher should we have to say, left in the series. <laughs> Still <laughs> <Yes>. alive. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did like my shorthand synopsis at the start. Violence! A lot of headshots, like, mm -hmm. like a lot of bullets in the face. Can I say one thing before we get into our top five points? Absolutely. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, fellow defenders, um, we will go through our top five points, what we consider our conjoined top five points, where we'll work them through, and then we'll finish up working through a quick defense, whether we defend or do not defend this episode, and each of us will come to our own agreements or our own decisions. But I did want to have quickly say, guys, how Garth Ennis of an episode was this? 100%. Just, like, the rolling head got me and I just went, <gasps> I'm pretty sure I saw that in a comic book. I'm pretty sure I've seen that he do that before in a comic book. Yep. Like, we haven't seen this level of Ennis-esque violence since episode one. We did. We did joke about yeah. uh, the ending scene scene of last week's episode where our, uh, Frank zip lines across two buildings, <laughs> being an absolute Punisher moment from the comic books. So there's definitely been a, a lot <laughs> in the past. I think when he his first appearance in Daredevil that we saw, where he killed all the kitchen iris, that was a very Punisher moment as well. But you're absolutely right. This scene here, and it's rightly so. This is the first time we've seen the skull back on Frank Castle's chest since he burnt it at the start of the season. So. This is the moment where he's saying, I am your Punisher. I am the Punisher. Yeah, I mean, I this is kind of where Frank went from PGL Adventure Playground for the weekend with a zip lining <laughs> straight through to SAS kind of assault course kind of, yeah, let's just blow up a million people mm -hmm. with like one person and a bit of duct tape oh, kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. And don't forget all the packing peanuts. Those packing peanuts can apparently hide quite a lot of weapons. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> but, gentlemen, I think it's time we get into our war journal. Let us start with point one in the war journal. Billy calls out Frank as a monster. Yes. What an intro. When he's on the beach beside the fire can. And Frank's going through those memories of Billy. From all the flashbacks we had to everything in between. Just, it took me a second to kind of figure out why this was happening. Like, I didn't know, okay, maybe they're just going to say, I'm sitting there, Michael comes, collects him, etc. And then I'm like, oh no, this is Frank realizing. This is Frank understanding everything that's just happened. Like, processing it in a very Frank Castle way, looking gloomy on the side of the Hudson River, kind of just going, ah, poor Pete Castellano. Yes, I like our description of it as a beach. Uh, it's not somewhere I would like to uh, unroll my towel and put on my speedos to uh, <laughs> sunbathe and go for a dip. But uh, yeah, no, that was that was really kind of cool. I thought, and I mean, certainly given the monster that Billy has become mm-hmm. as well. I mean, like uh, the pot calling the kettle black. I think on this one. Yeah, like this is the real moment that Frank is realizing the mo- the monster that Billy is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, just that, that closeness, that brotherhood. I mean, I love the fact that they chose that line that, you know, you're still my brother, Frank. I thought that was perfect choice uh, of a line. And, I mean, uh, also just to see Frank's reaction to Billy there. Uh, but you also have Madani's reaction uh, with the classic mug of uh, coffee into the TV screen yes. as she just kind of realizes just how much of uh, a face he can put on. Um, And, you know, this really uh, comes through the episode when they meet at Homeland Security as well. But, I mean, yeah, uh, really good to see Billy there. Um, Obviously, he's been released from, you know, because he was arrested in the Stirwell by the police. So, you know, obviously his connections there, what his role was, has meant that, you know, he's, he's free to go. But, I love the fact that that's probably tearing uh, Dina Madani up so so much, and he knows that that line on TV when he's talking when he's talking to the interview and says, "I have a very close relationship with law enforcement." That is absolutely intended for Dina Madani to hear and to be pissed off about as well. He's he's just throwing it in her face. Yeah, for me, Ben Barnes deserves a an Emmy Best Supporting Character in this mm-hmm. because you've gone from loving this charismatic character to seeing the evolution I said I said evolution quite a lot and I, I but I do mean it's probably the best way to describe it you've actually seen his true colors this very conniving devious man but I wanted to scream at the TV when Dina basically brought Russo into the interview room mm-hmm. and recorded him and then let him do those jabs because she essentially just threw any that whole interview and herself into question as her boss calls out. That really annoyed me because I'm like, whoa, 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 you just basically showed that you have a personal, like, get someone else to do it. It's fine. She should have called obnoxious un- um, non-unknown agent number three <laughs> into that scene and had him sit there and ask the questions. Like, seriously, you could have done that. 
But Billy, Billy calls out from the start, though, doesn't he, that it's not uh, a real interview. He's, he says it to her. He knows it's not because she's there alone, which she would never be allowed to do. So there, there is that moment where you know she's actually just trying to get into Billy's head. The fact that she knows that he murdered her partner, she actually just wants to slap him across the table yeah. or give him a proper punch or a shot to the head, really. Um, I love the fact that in this discussion, after this discussion, when uh, she eventually is letting Billy out, uh, they just say they're having a chat. It's nothing, nothing legal here. And then she goes to him, you never know, maybe Frank might find you. Maybe he might be on the loose for a bit longer than you think. You never, you never know, maybe he might get a tip off. So she is threatening him in this scene in the best way that Dina Madani knows how to. I think the two characters here in this episode are absolutely just incredible. I mean, the cutthroat tension uh, between the two, between Madani uh, and between Russo is amazing. Amber Rose Reaver and... Ben Barnes, I mean, are just so, so good in, in this episode. I love her comeback to him, as you've mentioned. But, I mean, similarly, the, the Billy Russo charm um, and and outward exterior, you get those moments where the camera is focusing in on him and you really kind of, you know, you see that smarmy smile coming on Ben Barnes' face uh, as Billy Russo and yeah. it's just so so good but I have to say Dina Madani in this uh, her encounter not only with um, with Billy Russo but also with Marion James the deputy director of the CIA I absolutely loved it because of the the two people involved in the scene uh, whether it's Mary Mastrantanio or it's um, Ben Barnes really Really, really good here. I thought I kind of I was like going just hit him, hit him, or or shoot him in the head or something. But I definitely think yeah, it's really weird that she would do that other than to get under his skin. Um, But nonetheless, there's the recording now. So I mean, how will it pan out? But I suspect she doesn't really want this to go to court anymore. Um, and go through proper law enforcement channels. So, um, yeah, it'd be really, really interesting. We'll see. We'll see. I do love that moment when she, when Dana twists it and starts talking about Rollins and talking about his mother and her signing away the papers. Oh, for, for yeah. Billy. I love that flip in his face um, when he just has that moment of realisation that actually she has a lot more on me than I think she does. Yeah, well, when you share a bed with someone for what we can only assume is a couple of weeks... You gotta learn shit. <laughs> the the one thing I, I find so funny is um I actually in my trips I wa- I end up on the plane watched Narnia. Um oh, yes. the Chronicles of Narnia. And Ben Barnes is Prince Caspian. He is Prince yes, Caspian. Yes, he is. Yes. yes. That is a slight change in acting skill. <laughs> just slightly. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> well done. But getting on, I just really want to get back to when Dean is talking to her boss. And she said, I just did it to shake the tree and see what fell. When he echoes that at the end, I'm like, this is actually getting interesting. Because he now understands when she pulls out the the recording instrument and goes, this is what was going on. This is why. This is why I'm doing this to Billy. This is like, this is, he killed my partner. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Him pulling in Rollins' boss. The interplay between these bad guys now and... One being CIA, the other being Homeland, and how they are fighting, but there's still politics, and there's the greater good of the country. But then you basically have the two bosses are like, okay, trying to play politics, be nice, civil, but trying to annoy each other, shake things a bit. But then you have 
Dina and Billy, they're two subordinates going crazy. Like yeah. they, they don't care they don't care anymore. This this is where I'm seeing that they I'd love to see her have a bit of a break where she kind of starts seeing the world from Frank's angle. Justification, vindication, vigilantism outside of the law has its benefits. Right. And that's where I can see a season two happening, which is when you have shit that the government or Homeland Security or the police cannot look after, who do you call? Not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Frank Castle, the Punisher. That actually sounded really like the uh, the A-Team opening. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Who are you going to call? Micro, A-Team. <laughs> um, but gentlemen, do we want to move on to point two of our war journal? Yes, yes. Sarah, Leo, Zach... Or find out who Pete Castiglione actually is. Really good uh, idea here. Uh, obviously, this is quite a big crime in New York that's happened. So, of course, they're going to be watching TV and see Frank Castle on their screens. Um, I'm slightly surprised they didn't know that he was Frank Castle before now, because obviously he was in the trial of the century during Daredevil. So uh, his face would have been plastered on screens when he was when he was in the city beforehand. So, uh, But it is good. At least they have the realization here. Um, I must say, quite surprised that Zach has called the police. Um, he's the one that takes his mobile and, and runs upstairs and calls the cops to tell them that that's a... Uh, that Pete's been over at their house or Frank's been over at their house. I'm quite surprised he did that because he had that big heart-to-heart where Frank solved the issues for him um, a a couple of episodes ago. So I kind of thought they had more of a friendship than this would lead you to believe. Yeah, I mean, I just thought he felt let down, basically, that, you know, that he was lied to and and that's why then, given he's supposed to be a terrorist, you know, all this stuff Mm -hmm. is still out there. You know, they don't know... Frank Castle and he's been sort of pretending he you know as Pete so for for them for Zach I suppose in particular he never wanted Pete in the house in the first place yeah. and maybe just he's feeling his initial suspicions of this guy were founded despite that talk Good point. um it's also that you know you do get that sense of his troubled relationship still with his mom so yeah, I mean, certainly I think here, uh, Zach, you know, was also sticking it to his mum uh, a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good point. And I believe Derek wrote this, and I think he's just too nice of a producer uh, to call this out. But once again, this episode proves kids are a-holes. <laughs> really just, I'm stealing it and I'm saying it, I put words in your mouth. I wanted to strangle that kid. Uh-huh. It just felt like he had that moment of reprieve for me. Like that, that moment where they're playing where they're playing American football in the front uh, and, yeah. and in the front of the house. Um, that's that moment where you're going, okay, Zach's problems are gone. He has someone to listen to. He's able to talk to his mom again, you know. That's where they're getting to. And then all of a sudden he's he's calling, uh, calling the police on frank yeah like i mean i look how much trouble he gets them into i get what you're saying but technically he did kind of probably do the right thing in any normal other non-comic booky situation um it's not to say he's not an uh, (laughs) a-hole but that is still um you know he probably did do the right thing but I, i mean you can really tell here that sarah just wants to keep her head below the parapet and that of her family. I yeah. mean, it's a protective call by her to why she tells them on the sofa, you know, to not do anything, to just keep it quiet. Because, as well, she's had the whole thing with her husband, David. And again, that was all 
law enforcement, law enforcement agency, and she's probably just like too many bad memories, yeah. too many bad memories. And of course, she's right because little do they know that behind all of this um, is her husband and all the baddies within all the U.S. government agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we get, yes, bad cops. Not good cops, bad cops. Very bad cops, yes. Very bad cops. They should have their own theme tune. I do like the fact that she used a meat tenderizer on his head. Um, I mean, she was, you know, the defensive lioness here. I really enjoyed that um, from her. I love, you know, she used her smarts as well to just make sure that Leo stayed upstairs, made the cover story, all of that. Really good, but unfortunately, Zach, again... Come on, Zach. Listen to your mother. <laughs> Tries to run and gets caught uh, outside the back door. Yeah. Well, first of all, I saw the guy, and within like 30 seconds of this uh, Russo, uh, agent of Russo, I should potentially call someone call, call them. Not agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., agents of Russo. Agents yes. of Anvil. Even better. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the AOA. In 30 seconds, you could see something was off about this cop. Um, and you could see Sarah kind of really straight away starts to understand this. She's yeah. getting a bit frightened. Yeah, Zach, Zach in this whole piece for me just, again, he's, he's slipping into that. And I can see where you're coming. He, if in the real world, this was the right thing to do. It was, absolutely. Yes. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying in a comic book world, this kid is just like, just like, do what you, be a good kid. Don't be a teenager. Don't let your hormones control you. Just do as your mother says. <laughs> like, get straight A's. Stop stealing stuff. Don't bring a knife home. Yes. Things like that. In comic book world, there's some murderers that are nice murderers that we like and don't want to go to prison. And there's yes. other murderers who are not nice murderers. And then you want to report them to the police. Exactly. Like, we just need to give this kid a, like, a, a rule book. Comic book the rule book. Comic book rule book, yes. Absolutely. And, but definitely the agents of Anvil need to really seriously consider their you know, police disguise, especially <laughs> in their manner in which they approach um, people. Because, I mean, he just walked into the house. Yeah. Like, no wonder that Sarah's uh, heckles stood up and she took the defensive position, you know, because, I mean, as well, he was trying to force his way into uh, chatting with Zach and then just, like, walking through the house. I mean, it's like, uh, excuse me, where do you think you are? If you want to convince someone of something, do it with confidence, I think is the way he was, he was taught. <laughs> Walk right into their house, into their kitchen, and then go, you're, you're both coming with me now. Uh, yeah, uh, no chance, love. I, I, do, I have to say that the one bit where we do see Zach, oh, first of all, Leo getting away, fantastic. It's really cool to see her running, like doing vaulting out of the window, well, falling out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> but that was cool. Zach and Sarah being taken away um, to that, I'm assuming some, it looks like a warehouse, an abandoned warehouse, uh, like just based on what's there. There's and hundreds of those in like, New York, Chris, isn't there? Yeah. You, you've seen most of them. Yeah, I, I've literally gone into each one yeah. and kind of went, oh, this is Daredevil season two. Oh, this is Daredevil. No. Um, but what we see, Zach kind of understanding the predicament he's put him in is going, are we going to die? And then you see the pure childlike fear on him. Yes. Where Sarah's now then putting up the mommy bear, the mommy protector. No, it's all going to be fine, yada, yada, yada. She didn't react quick enough to him, though, did she? No, no, not <laughs> really. 
let me just let him cry for a couple more seconds and then I'll tell him we're going to be okay. Yeah. 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 It's just like, well, I'm going to let him stew. He got us in this pretty. <laughs> if it comes yeah. down to it, Zach, you're first. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why this was happening. Like, this took me a second to cop on into. I didn't think they were agents at Anvil. I, yeah, maybe I'm just slow, but I was like, huh. When we see Russo and Rollins there looking at them, it kind of all clicks into place. And that mm. was another great, great scene between these two characters where we do see Russo going, um, we'll go after Frank. And he goes, oh yeah, you're going to come with me. Oh, you're not. Okay, well, I'll kind of stay here. I'll stay with you. Yes. We see now Russo kind of, where there was, I, I think, I don't know if I'm imagining it now, kind of back when we have seen them in their, say, the study, there was an element of Rollins was saying jump. Russo was kind of not 100% saying, like, yes, sir, jumping on command. There was a bit of kind of thing, but he was still doing what Rollins said. But now we see him kind of going, you're screwing this up left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the one trying to fix this. I'm putting my company on the line. My guy's on the line. My face on the line because his face is Anvil's face. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of like the serpents um, starting to eat their own tail. Sort of all this stuff is kind of crashing in on them and they're eating themselves, really. Um, I, I thought it was really good because, I mean... There is this betrayal now between Rawlins and, and Russo, um, and I think that does neatly send us into our third war journal point, um, which is Rawlins and Marion's relationship falls apart, but equally um, on the basis of that, Russo and Rawlins also really um, have had it. Both of them are willing to betray the other yes. um, here, and certainly Rawlins is, and Russo, as you say, making sure that he's not going to do as Rawlins commands now, um, and you just wonder, he's using anvil resources, so what's he going to do? And I think this is a nice thing that's kind of been kicked off here uh, in, in this episode to see how that really deteriorates. But for me, seeing Marion the deputy director of the CIA and Rawlins, those two confrontations that they have, one down by the waterfront and one on the bridge, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved them. It was proper kind of, I can't, it felt x file to some extent. You know, it felt Homeland. And I like that Marion comes out of it really well. Okay, she's there trying to protect the agency. Uh, and I can understand that. You know, she is deputy director. She's thinking of political, geopolitical, diplomatic, all these different kinds of things. She absolutely then says, Rawlins, you're out. You're finished I don't want any piece of your shit. You know, I love the fact that when he's talking about we and all that, she just kind of looking at him going, what's this we business? I mean, okay, it's about, you know, when the shit hits the fan, where is it going to land? But she's still there going, I asked you. And I love that that came back into it as well. And, And it's really good that... Marion, I think, is saying to Russo, you have to fall on your sword here. I am not going to protect you because I think so many storylines such as this will lead to this sort of mass organizational cover-up and she is not wanting to do that. All she's saying is you protect the agency, you betray Russo, and then after that, we're done. You resign your position and that's it. I don't want to see you again and I don't want you 
as part of my team in the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, when she goes into Homeland, where you know the tree has been uh, shook by by Rafi, I really think her and Dina together as well, really good. I think Marion is excellent in this episode, and it's great for a character that we've only seen for a few minutes earlier on. She suddenly just—it's like this volcanic explosion of her. And three really good scenes from Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. I definitely still wanted her to shout Robin at the top of her voice like she did in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I really wanted Alan Rickman to come in and kind of try and cut her heart out with a spoon as well. Okay, I just always would love to see Alan Rickman back. That would be wonderful. But uh, maybe not with the spoon. Yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, no, this uh, this is not the tick. There are, it is superheroes, but not the tick. (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I... I, I kind of wanted to, pardon me, I know you were saying that you wanted Marion to kind of, to, you didn't want her to kind of do the mask cover-up. I was kind of hoping she would, oh. because I can see this Watergate, Deep Throat-like scandal landing on Karen Page's uh, desk. Karen being the one to bring this level of, corruption in the cia out Mm. like that would be like i can see that kind of being a lovely thread into season two maybe it is but it's a massive trope in this kind of thing it is it is uh yeah it is and i thank you yes i know i'm actually wanting a trope there you go Mm -hmm. okay fair point fair point i i withdraw my comment no 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 it's fine (laughs) i i think it would have been equally exciting to have seen that because I think the writers on on this show have absolutely uh, shown to be superb. And, you know, the dialogue is intricate. Nothing is kind of left out or missing. You know, as I say, you know, we've seen that one conversation between Rollins and Marion where she's kind of asking him directly, is there anything on you? I want to bring you to be my second in command. Yeah. Um, Is there anything... And this is where it all plays out. Um, and, and that is really good. And yes, I think normally you would expect it to play out where she's kind of like, yes, we have to protect the agency. Uh, but the very thing that Rawlins has always admired it in her, which is her straight talking, she's not worried about the politics. It's, a, it's about the aims, the objectives of the agency come ultimately down to bear on him because she is not willing to um, undermine her own sort of uh, ideas, her integrity, which is what Rafi, you know, kind of has to just remind uh, Dina um, when she's pushing Marion after she's left, you know, that Marion is one of the good guys. Um, Yes, he's he's gone and rattled her cage um, to see what falls from, from the tree, what fruit falls. Um, what comes out from from the you know the dusty drawer, but he knows that she has um, ethics. Ethics, uh, yeah, exactly. I like the fact that she stood with those um, and effectively tells Rollins to go, you know, run and jump. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's also addressed in the storyline as well, Chris, with with Dina, where she comments on the fact that nobody believes the CIA anymore anyway. So. Um, would this be a huge story for Karen? Because effectively what Dina says is, well, 
I don't think the public would be in any way surprised by some of the shit your agency gets up to, you know. So it's so it is the writers kind of going, this is a way we could have taken it, but we're not going to do that. We're going to give a really strong character moment for Marion in this episode. And I think it works. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but I do think the writers would have done a good job with yes. with the the trope. <clears throat> but it was nice not to see a trope. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think on that note, <laughs> on that trope, let us remove, on that trope of the trope of a trope. Let's move on to point four of our war journal. Mm-hmm. Our Punisher is back. He is. This is for Dolph. This Scary. is for Thomas Jane. This echoes the films of yesteryear. But my God, when Frank sprays the skull back into his bulletproof vest, oh I'm yes, happy. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. That was very cool. There is another Punisher as well, isn't there? Ray Stevenson. True, true. But he is no Thomas Jane to me. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm an Expanse fan. Thomas Jane can do no wrong. Uh, he is a Punisher. Actually, what we can do, end of episode 13, let's rank our Punishers one to four. Let's put it down in vocal record, if you audio record, if you will. Okay. I'm not writing it anywhere because that can be used against me in a court of law. <laughs> But, yes, we got this. And I actually have to admit, I really liked how we got the skull. And Micro is the one to explain what the hell the skull is. Mm. It is not just a cute, artistic uh, <laughs> flair of creativity from Frank Castle. No, this the, the skull is uh, Memento Mori. Yes. And that is apparently Latin for Remember You Will Die. Um, and when we hear about the slave walking behind the Roman generals, yes, screaming at him, this remember that like you may have won a battle, but you will still die. Yeah. The I, more you continue, the more wars you fought. I am Spartacus. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to go. I am three hundred. Uh, <laughs> we gave see a lot of shirtless Frank in this season. <laughs> well, that's true. We did get the Marvel abs here. We got yeah. Frank's Marvel abs. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, yeah, really. it is the Punisher Frank Castle's version of the Marvel Abs because they're covered in blood and they've got loads of cuts all over yeah. them. So, yeah. And just yeah. quickly, really good continuity um, in that when he takes off uh, and rips off his top, he's got bruises on his back where he's been hit by the bullets from the previous episode. Very good. I was actually yeah. looking out for that because I am such a nerd and a geek for continuity mm-hmm. and I was like fair play loved it and a nerd and geek for Marvel Labs <laughs> <laughs> well absolutely <laughs> we definitely have to have somewhere to to wash our laundry on you know other than a washing machine true very very true those washboard abs they are here to stay for the Marvel universe mm. gentlemen let's get into this violence yes oh like this is dramatic. Absolutely. And it yeah. is really a nightmare version of Home Alone, isn't it? <laughs> when he was doing the light bulbs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, they're going to turn on the switch and it's going to pop and explode. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be. Nope. He he didn't even do that. Nope. Just nope. shot it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was like, well, that's one way to explode. Yep. That, that works, too. Uh-huh. It was full on, absolutely full on. I mean, is this Frank's version of his corridor scene? Just because he was along corridors quite a lot, but I mean, I've never seen so many point blank guns to the face, and oh. you know, yeah. uh, shotgun to the face, knife to the face, 
grenades to the face. I mean, it was kind of like... I mean, I was just there. When when the guy who had been the police officer, mm-hmm. you know, he had just been stabbed, then run through again. It just had, like, the backs of his legs slit open to, to stop him from walking. I would have just, like, play dead. Play dead. And instead, he's, like, moaning, trying to get away. I'm, like, going, just pretend you're dead. Don't, you know, just... <laughs> Be really still, really silent, and instead he's going. Uh, uh, you might uh, be able to pick up your paycheck from Anvil at the end of the month if you just stay quiet. Yeah. But that's kind of my question about the scene: which is the most brutal moment of this? Is it the grenade in the in the guy's mouth, and then his head being thrown into a, a circle of Anvil guys, or is it the moment when Frank stands over the guy who was the, was the cop and goes, "So, do you know anything?" And he goes, "No." And Frank goes, fair enough, and gives him a bullet in the head. <laughs> like, it is it is literally no no pleading with him. Yeah. You say you don't know anything, I'm not going to interrogate you. No, I definitely, for me, it is that, but it's with the other guy who he doesn't even do that to. Because, I mean, this is mm. this is literally that kind of medieval thing of going around the battlefield at the end and running the sword through anyone who's groaning. Yeah. And it's just because, I mean, he literally just looks at the guy and shoots him in the head. And the poor guy then, his head bounces off a helmet that's on the floor. Um, I was like, oh, I wonder if he intended that, because it may have actually hurt the actor. <laughs> oh, not the... But you. it was that. It was actually just how relentless Frank is now, you know. And, I mean, him screaming out for Russo, thinking that he's there oh, yeah. and, and wants to confront him. So, I mean, these guys effectively take all of that vengeance anger, hatred, whatever, betrayal. Um, And I think it was that moment for me where he effectively just pops him in the head without even saying anything because he's still alive and he's he's kind of thinking he will be spurred. You know, there is no uh, UN sort of human rights (laughs) or or convention (laughs) here. You know, which is... No, exactly. So, I mean... It, it was that moment which I thought was like massive in, in just um, brutality of, of what Frank wants to do, along with everything else, of course. But I mean, I just kind of hit hit home then. Yeah, yeah. And this is also the first time that the theme tune for The Punisher was played in an episode as well. We we heard little strains of the instrumental part of it, and then it actually built up throughout this scene. So we now have Punisher with his skull on and his theme tune, killing everyone in sight. Really. Yeah. Oh, it was just for me. I I just love this. Like, do do you remember Kandahar? The episode of Kandahar mm-hmm. where we see Frank go into that that combat rage where he's screaming and like he's just you can see the bloodlust and he's just fueled and he's getting tearing everyone apart. Yeah, we see the controlled Punisher version of that in this. Yeah, yeah. He's not roaring. He does roar for for Russo. But he he's not just like grunting and like this is the control. You see him go in and he pop 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 like that. The slight card or it's not the card scene, but there's a slight two shot scene where you see him go in. He shoots uh, two guys. He shoots one other guy. Um, then turns around, and shoots someone else. Then spins, camera spins, and he shoots the third person again because he had just shot them in the leg. No, shoots him in the head. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, so this is yeah. this is the, the level of controlled crazy that we see from the Punisher. 
Exactly. Channel. Yes, yeah, channel, channel. That's probably That's a better word. So, uh, and the big difference really between the two scenes is in Kandahar, it's very much, I'm going to go in and take all these guys out or I'm, or I'm going to die. This time it's, I'm going to take all these guys out because I know I yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love the, the pr- preparation. This is the, also the oh, bit yes. I did love. Yeah. Like, we've yet to get the micro level preparation in some of these kind of episodes where we see micro does like the, he starts telling, we have, see, well, I suppose we've seen him with the drone, but we've yet to see him with the blueprints, things like that. This was where you see Frank putting the light bulb in. You put him with the fully automatic, like massive machine gun that has like the side loaded bullets comes out of the packing mm-hmm. crate with the packing peanuts. You see the shotgun up in the pipes. Like, all these yes. strategically placed things. I, they are I, really good. It's As I said, this is what happens if Kevin McAllister goes away to war <laughs> and changes his name to Frank Castiglione and is left alone by his mom again. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, I mean, the other thing as well, you have the, it, the video of Kandahar playing through all of this um, and also... There is this countdown clock, and I mean, it is for for me. I definitely think it's where it will send all the data to newspapers or whatever. But I mean, there was part of me at one point thinking, "Is this going to blow the the place sky high? Mm. Is it going to do that?" But certainly, I think with the the Kandahar image, it's got to be off. It flies to newspapers, um, police departments and what have you yeah yeah exactly and we have seen uh, the installations that david lieberman has in this bunker for himself we've seen them before the things that that will set off bombs this just didn't look like it to me when i was when i was watching it it did seem to be kind of indicating that we've got this information to billy russo whenever he arrives we've got all this information it's going to be going out in 12 minutes get your shit together basically i i was really hoping that that was 12 seconds and then at the mm-hmm. end we would just see the punisher um, kind of logo and it's just going to do that ha 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 with the jaw kind of going up and down in 8-bit <laughs> eight or 16-bit kind of like style ha 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 you lose you are on trope fire yeah I know yeah. I still remember Hackers <laughs> come on best action yes, film ever um, but and yeah guys that I, I love this but we're missing one part of this whole scene Frank mm-hmm. calls Billy like we get yes. that kind of for now this the f- penultimate confrontation if you will like this is like we're, we're hope well I'm hoping it's one of the penultimate kind of confrontations where this is going to lead to them they they both want each other dead badly and you can oh, hear yes. it and what they say and the way they say it I loved the reaction from Billy when when Frank is asking him why didn't you come yourself the guy I knew would have come come himself and he goes, well, I've got people to do that for me now. Why bark? Why bark when you have a dog? You know, um, that's there's no point yeah. in doing that. You know, it's it's that really good moment from Billy where he's kind of going, I moved on, Frank, and you are, and I now have an entire company that will be going after you over and over again until you're gone. Yeah, I mean, it it was fantastic, and definitely, I agree. the The level of bitterness between these two now, um, you just wonder. But quick question. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to see take down Billy Russo? Madani or the Punisher? Oh. Because there is part of me that wants to see Dino Madani absolutely rip his balls off. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time to see the Punisher 
do something to Billy in a different way. And I definitely want to see Frank get his moment for revenge against Billy, given how close they were, you know, again, coming back to this brotherhood. And at the same time, I really want Billy Russo to survive the both of them because he's such a good character and has been portrayed by Ben Barnes. I really don't want to see this guy lost from... Uh, the Marvel Netflix world in the same way as, you know, the Purple Man, Kilgrave from Mm -hmm. Jessica Jones. And certainly if he is the comic book character that we think he might be, which is Jigsaw, Mm -hmm. well then hopefully he does survive the night. Yes, just not as pretty as he currently is. Yeah, the way I foresee this in my head going is what we're going to get is Frank goes, we have this amazing fight going between like it goes down to it starts at bullets it goes down to knives and it goes fists with billy versus frank and then frank much like the comic books will throw billy through a window it disfigures him he lands on the ground badly hurt madani puts some cuffs on him he's still alive he's breathing bleeding badly disfigured but he gets arrested, put in an ambulance, goes to jail. Both of them get what they want. It leaves yeah. Russo alive as the main protagonist, or antagonist, I should say, for season two in his full comic book craziness. Yeah, so it's tag team. It's tag team takedown. Yes, yes, exactly. I, I, just, I, think, it, I think that's the, the fair way. I, it's the way I see it. Will it happen? I don't know. I honestly, mm-hmm. like, we thought they were going to do something similar with Kilgrave, and we, uh, <laughs> they kind of snapped us out of that uh, kind of decision or idea quite quickly. Absolutely. And I'm not going to take a guess, um, since I'm the only one that's actually seen the episode. So, oh, uh, yeah! Who's uh, right? Who's right? Who's so. right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see over the next couple of episodes as the season closes it out. Uh, let's get on to our final entry into the War Journal. Uh, really just because the scene itself is so good. Um, the family is finally reunited after all of this time. David Lieberman been in hiding for an entire year and we finally get to see him meeting up with his daughter, Leo, who has escaped from the house. We mentioned that earlier on. But I really like this kind of moment because... Frank could easily have gone out and met Leo, but he sends David out to do it. And the resistance of David to do it, where he's kind of going, um, what am I supposed to tell her here? Uh, yeah, I'm still alive. Let's go get ice cream. And, you know, it's it's another one of these moments where David has to step up and be a real man uh, with the help of Frank here. And the actress who plays his daughter, Leo, is fantastic in this scene. There's some, some huge amount of emotion for a character this young to be going through and she just sells it so well i think yeah definitely i think uh ripley sobo uh, who plays leo is really great in this scene um and it is it's just really touching and i, I think again this is where this series to me is fantastic because they can chop and change really quickly on a on a dime mm-hmm. here uh, from going from, you know, the Punisher returning and giving it the full whack of, of guns, bullets, knives, fists and violence to this moment where David is like, well, yeah, how do I do this? It, he, he's awkward. He's 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 scared as well. He doesn't know what their reaction is going to be. Um, and in the end, you get that reconnection 
at the pool in the park and then the reconnection in the Punisher van. Mm-hmm. And it is just really nice to see. Um, it, it, it's really emotional. It's really touching. You know, they've got a lot to learn about one another still. And, and it, it, it's really good. And, and it's that contrast that is done and, and is done in a way that works so well. And I, I just thought it was superb. Yeah. Um, and, and I definitely agree with you that, you know, uh, the performance by uh, Ripley Sobo here is really good as Leo. Um, I think it's it's just how she portrays this kind of scared uh, little girl who, who's running away from her home and then is suddenly forced into seeing her dad without knowing she was going to after not having seen him for a year, thinking that he was dead. And... She puts that across so so well. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I may have may have got a little bit emotional in this scene. If anybody's ever seen me watch TV shows where families get reunited, you know it's my weak spot. <laughs> I always have a little tear in my eye watching those kind of scenes. This is just played really really well. She does almost catch Micro in uh, the little secret that he has that he's had cameras installed in the house, um, where she says to him, "Oh, the song on the radio. Myself, and my my friends made up a great dance to this," and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, you're a great dancer." how would you know that yeah. um, <laughs> like uh, no reason I'm always thinking about you honey um, I just like that, that again the smartness of this character comes out she's she's always been shown as a very intelligent character and she picks up on things that he says very very quickly uh, I do want to see the, the see the reunion obviously with uh, with Sarah and with Zach later on I think there's actually a lot more to resolve between those characters and David Lieberman obviously Zach going through this arc where he's been getting violent becoming a bully because of being left behind by his father, Sarah obviously turning into the arms of Frank because she's lost her husband. Um, a lot more to resolve there. I think Leo's and his relationship is just much purer and much more easily satisfied with her being the first member of the family to meet. I think it was the right choice to have her being the one get, to get away and, and meet up with David because it's just cute. Daddy and daughter moment, you know? Yeah, I, I'm going to agree and disagree both in, in one sentence. Kids are a-holes. <laughs> but... The actress who plays her is fantastic, and the emotion she kind of gives out is fantastic. Ah, Chris, where's your marshmallowy, fluffy inside? I am not a Twinkie. I am not a <laughs> uh, what's this? The yellow birds, the marshmallow yellow birds. I our American fellow defenders can get back to me. There is a yellow bird filled with marshmallow. Um, sweet that, that, that one or I am not a marshmallow there you go um, I may look like one on the outside as I was saying like okay first things first David having to be convinced to go back to his daughter if I was Frank I'd be slapping him but Frank did yeah. the right thing and it's just kind of like be a man like I just you were like people were screaming at the TV. I could could see this the way when this was being. I was watching this. I'm like other people are screaming. Like, Be a man, go get, save your daughter. Like why yeah. does Frank Castano need to go? Why does Pete need to go? No, no, you go. She's your daughter. When they meet, it was nice. Her first kind of like shock at seeing him, like and then running over. Yeah, the scene in the van where about the dancing. I was like. It would have been uh, fantastic if they had of actually put. He mentions that he was kind of there. Mm-hmm. The, the, he mentions, "I've been keeping an eye on you." Like, yeah. like I think that's a good thing. But Let's take things slowly. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the bit 
that I really, really liked is we again see this really soft Frank Castle. When they all come together, and I, well, I'll get to all of them coming together in a second, when Frank pauses a particularly important conversation, mm-hmm. stops and goes over to Ridley Sobo, goes Definitely. over to Leo and, how are you, kid? Like, everything okay? Definitely. Like, yeah. that's the bit, that's, that would for me kind of show, again, this human side of the Punisher, which we've been seeing and they've explained it to us, sometimes knocking us in the face with it, like in his flashbacks that he is vulnerable, but him doing this to try and save Micro's kids, to keep them safe. Definitely. Not so much the father and daughter reconnecting in the van, you may have had a, a wet eye, that didn't for me. This, for me, was when Frank came over, that was the bit where I was like, oh, that's really cute. That's the bit mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's fantastic. The Punisher officially is more marshmallowy than you, Chris. You are Blackpool Rock. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Only our UK fellow defenders will probably get that one. Um, But, gentlemen, let's kind of jump on to the actual part where I squealed like a little... Well, like a little schoolgirl. Leo was actually probably more masculine than I. Madani, Frank, David... The team, including Leo, which seems a bit weird. You'd think you would kind of go put her in the safe house, but no. No, 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 no. no. She is now part of Team Punisher. Mm -hmm. She would get her own little bulletproof vest with a mini skull and a bow. All standing around the Punisher van as well, which is quite cool. So uh, we have seen the van before, obviously, but uh, I don't think we've called out that it is the Punisher van from the comic book. So uh, so quite cool to have the new team assembled right there rather than a micro's hideout. Oh, definitely. Well, Micro's hideout is no longer safe. True. <laughs> or, or hardly any of it's left. Yes, you do remember the the um, assault team. Yes, yes, <laughs> they were still there. Yes, yes. <laughs> but let's just say Mini Punisher, Frank, David and Madani are going after Anvil. And it's going to be so good. Yes. This, this was for me another why I live and breathe these Netflix shows. They are so good editing and closing an episode at a point where you're like okay I've got 20 seconds I mm-hmm. really want to go on to the next one. Oh my god this is going to be amazing I want to see how this happens what goes next they know how to do this and that scene the team Punisher going against team Anvil yep yeah, sign me up I want to do this so after mm-hmm. recording that is what I will be doing tonight absolutely but gentlemen unless we have anything else on a family reunited I've just got one note um, that just made me laugh. I don't know why. Uh, it's when Frank is on the phone to Leo, saying to her how to destroy her phone, how to get rid of it so she's no longer tracked. And he goes, you know what a SIM card is, sweetheart? As if he's talking to like a 90-year-old. <laughs> and the face on Ripley Sobo when she gets the phone call and hears that from Frank is just kind of like, oh my God, this guy is so old. <laughs> just plays it perfectly. It just, it just makes me laugh. I've watched the episode, I think, three times now uh, for the reviews. Um, and it's the moment that just makes me smile in the episode. Yeah, and it was an old school battery as well. Yes. How do you, how do you get a battery out of a mobile phone these days? I don't they come out, do they? You don't. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. SIM cards go in the side, and you need one of the little SIM card pins, or mm-hmm. you need like an earring. I was expecting her to take out an earring, kind of poke it in. We have like that, like thirty seconds where she's just trying to. Nope. Nope. 
No, oh, there factory you go. reset. Factory <laughs> <Yeah>. reset. <laughs> then she just ends up stomping on it and still not broken because they're more vulnerable. She tries to dunk it in water. The water resistance is still working. It's a Samsung ad. Turns out to be a Galaxy Note that just explodes. But that that would have been an interesting way. I think that's an episode of the next season of MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> well, MacGyver yeah. uses a Galaxy Note to blow up a nuclear warhead. One final note then. Yes, absolutely. Um... Chris's well-known phrase from the podcast, shits and giggles, comes into The Punisher. It's finally made it into a it show, Chris. makes it into the show, shits and giggles. I'm telling you, once again, proving that Defender TV podcast, the writers of the <laughs> Netflix universe, do listen to us, take into account what I say, almost <laughs> echoing my very sentiment and words immortalizing them on the silver screen <laughs> i went oh that's me no um i yeah it's becoming a lexicon now like it's urban dictionary shits and giggles it's in there mm-hmm. there you go i don't See. know what that says more about oxford dictionary when they put it in there then i'm <laughs> a bit more scared about where the human race is going but for yeah. now i will take this win Thank you. I'd like to thank God, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, is that an acceptance speech? No? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we've had had John in the episodes with with his phrase um, appearing on the lips of David Lieberman. Certainly. Saying, my point being. We have Chris... I'm not saying the phrase. (laughs) (laughs) We have Chris's shits and giggles uh, going into Dina Madani. Do I get a phrase at the end of the season? Uh, maybe a cop in the background saying gentlemen let's move along I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got that in Luke Cage pretty sure yes. you got it already you've had that in every uh, <laughs> series of uh, the Defenders uh, and now the Punisher so gentlemen let's move along I'm pretty sure he's had that in every episode of every TV cop procedural <laughs> yeah. since the 60s but Derek would you like to take us away with your cash raise? So, gentlemen, let's move along. Yes. Exactly. We will move along to the defense of The Punisher this episode. So, Chris, do you defend the 11th episode of The Punisher, Danger Close? I do. I'm not even going to do a long rambling yes or no. I do. I fully defend this episode. Um, In the beginning, as I told everyone, the very beginning of this episode, I have had my ups and downs. We're getting the fruition of a lot of these story arcs that I was questioning over the last couple of episodes. We see this Home Alone scene, as Derek beautifully described it. Um, it, Like, the Punisher, Kevin McAllister, goes rogue. Um, Like, (laughs) what else can you ask for? Especially when you're getting a Memento Mori uh, emblazoned on a bulletproof vest Mm. in beautiful black-on-white contrasting. I, I can't talk much more, guys. This... The violence was beautiful. It was Garth Ennis. It was a Punisher comic book come to life in that scene. I'm really enjoying the wrap-up of some of these characters. I really want to see the the continued evolution or devolution or uh, upgrade of Billy Russo's character into the well-known comic book character he will become. And yeah, let's, let's see how it all works out. Actually, strangely, and this is maybe my marshmallowy centre... I want to see Sarah and Micro meet up again because I'm pretty sure there is a lot of slaps going to happen there. Micro will be slapped a lot and I can see Frank going, "Uh, I kissed your wife. Sorry, I'm just going to stand over here. (laughs) I want to see the story arc continue. 
So, gentlemen, yes, I do defend this. Um, I, I can't say much more. I just we have two episodes left, two hours left, gentlemen. That's mm-hmm. all. That's all that's left. Less than two hours. But anyway, enough of my rambling. John, do you defend the eleventh episode of The Punisher? Danger close. I do. I do defend this episode of The Punisher. I give this five shits and giggles out of five. <laughs> um, like. I've absolutely loved, I think, the last four episodes. Um, They've been such a strong run, and this just continues that for Mm me. Um, I thought seeing the Punisher on screen, you know, his uber-violence, as you say, Goth Ennis in in brutality and scale, just really, really good to see. Um, I absolutely loved um, Marion James... Uh, and Dina Madani in this. I love Marion's confrontation with Rawlins. I loved Marion and Madani's confrontation with each other. Um, it was just really, really great. The little, um, you know, the family reunion of Micra, I liked how that kind of uh, came together as well. And again, just the continuing brilliance of Billy Russo with Frank Castle, with John Bernthal, that sort of ever-decreasing relationship and and degradation of it, uh, I just think is really tense, really good stuff. And I, I, I just thought it was fantastic. I cannot wait to go to episode 12 and 13 um, because I just feel these are going to be something special, definitely. So I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Derek, moving on to you. Do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Yeah, this is this is a great episode. It's a great episode for Dan Madani. Amber Rose Riva playing that part in this in the moments in this episode are some of the best that she's done. The the pure anger and viciousness that's coming out from under her, every word that she says is fantastic. As we mentioned, love Leo in this episode, love Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in this episode. Um, There's so much going on around the periphery. I was trying to explain, after we watched the episode, I was trying to explain what I'm loving about the Punisher series more than others. And I think it's because so many of the characters are fleshed out in this show. So many of even the bit part actors that come in and out, it feels much more like a city that's alive. It feels like other stories are going going on all the time it's not just one central storyline that's being spread thin over 13 episodes it feels like there's lots of things going on and they're connecting very well in the show so um this the series so far has been fantastic i'm really looking forward to getting into talking about our last two episodes excellent so another three defends out of three for mm-hmm. the punisher let's see what our listeners think we have some feedback for this episode and the previous episode, last week's episode as well. Um, remember, voicemail your thoughts through the interweb at defenderstvpodcast.com. Go to the right-hand side of the screen and you can leave 90 seconds of your immense thoughts on voicemail. There is also feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com if you want to write down your immense thoughts and send them by email to us. And of course, we have Facebook group. Just come on over, join everyone on there to discuss, comment about anything on the Punisher series. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. 
a first piece of feedback came in through our YouTube channel, actually, weirdly, this week. Damn it, I missed that one. <laughs> it's all right. There are only the uh, audio versions of the podcast up on YouTube. Um, but it came from Teresa MLA. She says, it did take a second viewing to see the episode, but in Karen's version of events, we do see her pick up a gun from the floor. She does tell Mahoney later, it wasn't really my gun anyway, or something like that, when she's talking about when Frank took her hostage. So there is a moment where... Um, where Karen gets another gun and, and that's what she uses to lo- shoot Lewis in the foot it wasn't her gun from her bag because she'd lost that yeah great part really interesting uh, good catch Teresa I have to say I really enjoyed and I probably didn't get my thoughts in on this bit, so I'm just going to slip them in the fact that a card carrying member of, with a concealed weapon permit goes to interview the anti-gun politician I thought was fantastic and it the was. fact that Billy calls it out I'm like yeah she mm-hmm. always carries a weapon in her bag and but they called it out the fact they called it out that it's downstairs was fantastic yes exactly exactly yes so i'm gonna jump on then gentlemen uh over on facebook robert phillips left us this great piece of feedback sarah stealing zach capturing dad reunited with family and the trident of justice finally getting together with a small girl in tow under the arches the punisher was back with his vengeance and there was nothing that could satisfy him but blood brains and death he didn't look that happy though did he after he wreaked destruction on the kill squad sent for him (laughs) it was very nice to see madani get the boss on her side and put a clear line down for everyone to see feels like there's nothing going to stop her from tidying up this mess now however with all the twists we've seen already it might be that she doesn't make it out alive prediction episode 12 has to be where the body dies and episode 13 is where he comes back to life then cuts to black interesting so maybe then yes billy gets snotted in episode 12 and then awakens in episode 13 interesting interesting yeah Mm. i i I like i like that idea yeah and though, although that does mean we get another episode 13, which is basically just tidying up, which I don't know. Do you want to go out on a high or do you want to have a high and then some tidy up after? I will leave it to our fellow defenders to decide. Personally, I like going out on a high, a blaze of glory, if you will, a rising phoenix, just like Billy Russo, <laughs> according to Robert Phillips. I, I like the last episodes to be split. I like the last episode to resolve issues and also do a kind of a setup for the next time. Get the characters around the table. Having their Thanksgiving dinner would be a nice little moment uh, at the end of the I season. Su- yeah, I suppose it's that. Is it Game of Thrones where with the penultimate episode being the big shocker mm. uh, and then you go into sort of aftermath or maybe they tidy up Rawlins in that one, you know? Yep. Yeah, um, we've got two big bads here. But yeah, I, um, I, I think this should go out with a bang, given that guns are a big feature of mm-hmm. The Punisher. I definitely think, uh, yeah, a good episode 13. It can still cut to black with eyes, after eyes have opened, maybe just in the credits, a bit like with Daredevil on The Defenders, where maybe. we get that kind of thing. So definitely. Maybe. And yeah, I also agree with Robert uh, here. Frank did not look very happy once he'd wreaked his destruction on the kill squad. Um, probably because he didn't get his man. He obviously didn't didn't get to kill Billy Russo, who he thought, who was setting this whole plan up to get. He wasn't there to kill every member of Anvil that he sent after him. He was there to kill Billy. But uh, Frank hardly ever looks happy in this show, though. So no. 
it's but hard he, to tell. But he does go gooey eyes. Uh, we see that with uh, him in the elevator with uh, Karen Page That's true. from the last episode. Yeah. Uh, and we see his soft, caramel-like centre, um, obviously with the protection that he feels for, for Leo. That's true. We have another piece of uh, feedback over at our Facebook group as well, from Ronaldo. Uh, he says, Loved Micro's mini-explanation why he can so nonchalantly stitch up a wound. I wanted to be a vet, stitch up a few birds growing up. Glad the writers at least acknowledge that a normal person can't stitch up a bloodied wound without at least flinching at the thought of it. Or maybe it's just me who's squeamish. Uh, he goes on to say, A great scene with Billy's men masquerading as cops, abducting Micro's family... Also, Frank using the decapitated head in the climax certainly showed a new side of the Punisher, previously portrayed as a professional soldier. The macabre use of their head highlighted the depths Frank is willing to go and the anger that's built within him from Billy's betrayal. Dark stuff. Dark stuff indeed. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I love that kind of little idea that, yeah, not everyone can uh, do a stitch in nine. So it's really good that... You know, there's a little bit of um, sort of explanation about that. Um, yeah, I mean, the Punisher returning and him going dark and macabre was was really just fantastic. Absolutely, actually. absolutely. Um, you know, this is certainly, uh, like you said, Chris as well, uh, straight from Garth Ennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ronaldo, you are not the the only squeamish one. I, I find it really difficult to watch kind of operations like this. I know even Micro found it quite difficult to, to to watch an operation on Frank back in episode three. So it's good to know that he he does have some skills in sewing up. He probably wouldn't have been able to take a bullet out of his shoulder or an arrowhead out of his shoulder like happened in episode five. And um, so. He's not that experienced, but at least he's able to do a few stitches. Yes, and much like Micro, uh, a stitch in nine to save some time. We don't have that much feedback in this episode. So, Derek, I think you have an interesting point or note for feedback if you want to read it out. Yeah, I just thought it was a, an interesting thing to, to mention. It was back at the Ace Comic Con panel in the US, which happened this weekend, um, where John Berntal was asked what happened to his dog Max from uh, from Daredevil Season 2. Uh, we kind of mentioned this before. We'd wondered if, if this would be Punisher's dog like he has in the comic books. Occasionally he has a dog that runs with him all the time. Uh, and the story between the dog and, and Frank was never really resolved. Well, we now have the reason why it wasn't resolved, which is at least good. At least we have closure to it. Effectively, um, John Bernthal was asked the question and he said he was supposed to return at the end of the episode, but unfortunately the trainers couldn't make him sit, couldn't make him do anything for them that they needed them to do for the episode. It was only a short time that they had to do it. So unfortunately, the dog got fired. So um, so the final moment was, was never put to film, unfortunately. So a bit of a dog's day afternoon. Yes, just a bit. Yeah. Yes. He made a real dog's dinner of it. He did. It was oh, a bit rough. Max. Yes. Bit yeah. rough, a bit rough, yes. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think this brings us to the end of our episode. Mm -hmm. um, I think we shall wrap up then by saying, ladies and gentlemen, please remember to go over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast and give in, join in the old group there and come in along discussing, giving us your feedback. Or, if you want, just follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast or why not go over to Apple Podcast and write a review, share the love. But more importantly, don't forget, and this is the most important thing, 
share this podcast with your grannies and granddads. They will love this episode. They will love the dulcet tones that we pipe across the interwebs, airwaves. And fellow Defenders, don't forget to subscribe at DefendersTVPodcast.com. That is a more important. Mm-hmm. Yes. We'll be back with our review of Punisher Episode 12 Home next Friday, the 26th of January. And every week from there on until, well, just one more week. But actually, we'll be back pretty soon as well because our favourite Wakanda King is coming back to the big screen. Yes, Black Panther is yes, coming. Yes, indeed. Yes, so we will be seeing our Wakandan King. We will see a beautiful scored soundtrack. We will see history in the making. And who knows, maybe we'll get a few MCU, Netflix cameos. You can always hope. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 132 of Defenders TV Podcast. I am Chris Jones. I'm John. And I'm Derek. And fellow Defenders, we will be back soon. Thank you very much for following us along on our war journal this episode. You'll have all three of us here for our final penultimate episode going into the finale as we will be here and give you whether we defend Punisher episode 12 and episode 13. To offer now. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Like Marion from the CIA, I am off to have a panic attack uh, because of how exciting the Punisher is. Uh, We'll speak with you again next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. And a nerd and geek for Marvel Labs. <laughs> well, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we call them out. We have to grate our cheese somehow. It is true. No, I, I'm this. Guys, I, I want <laughs> Sorry. It is true. No! <laughs> it's like your inner voice told you to say no. <laughs> yeah, I, it is true. That is very true. There, There is a lot of cheddar cheese and we need to grate it. <laughs> the only but, thing is, isn't it a washboard? <laughs> so I should have said, it's not... Washboard abs or cheese grater abs? Can, you, cheese Can you have cheese grater? Okay, I just thought I got that really wrong. Well, maybe you do Washboard. No, it is a washboard stomach like would be the move. Yeah. Do you want to go back? Go on. Do it now. I can't remember what it was. It was it was we have to have somewhere to grate our cheese. So you Yeah, we have we definitely have to have somewhere to, to wash our laundry on, you know, other than a washing machine. Um like the Punisher, Kevin McAllister goes rogue. Um <laughs> like what else can you ask for? Um, especially when you're getting a uh, memento more especially when you're getting cops right outside coming to take me away (laughs) 